It's October 7th, 2022, and this is your DSR Daily Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Kotnor. Our top stories from international outlets this morning. The BBC has a profile of Ailes Bialyatsky, a prominent Belarusian human rights activist who was just awarded the Nobel Peace Prize along with human rights groups in Russia and Ukraine. Mr. Bialyatsky is the founder of the country's Vazna Human Rights Center, which was set up in 1996 in response to a brutal crackdown of street protests by Belarus's authoritarian leader, Alexander Lukashenko. Vazna provided support for the jailed demonstrators and their families, documenting the use of torture against political prisoners by the Belarus authorities. He was detained in 2020 and remains detained without trial following massive protests over what opposition leaders say were rigged elections in Belarus that kept Lukashenko Europe's last dictator in power. The Chosun Ilbu of South Korea is reporting that 12 North Korean warplanes staged a rare show of force by flying in formation and firing air-to-surface missiles near the inter-Korean border yesterday afternoon. The South Korean military responded by scrambling about 30 warplanes. North Korea also fired two short-range ballistic missiles earlier that day. Meanwhile, President Yoon Suk-yeol discussed with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida on the phone how to respond to North Korean nuclear weapons and missiles. After a meeting of the National Security Council chaired by National Security Advisor Kim Sung-Han, the presidential office pledged to take a hard line on the issue, saying North Korea will face a tougher response to its provocations. The U.S. military announced on Thursday that it killed three senior members of the Islamic State during a rare operation in northern Syria, writes Deutsche Welle. The airstrike and helicopter raid are the first known U.S. operations in territory held by forces loyal to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. A deputy leader of IS in Syria, Abu Hashem al-Muawi, was killed by a U.S. military airstrike on Thursday evening, CENTCOM said. The militant ranked among the top five most senior IS members worldwide. Abu Muad al-Qahtani, who was described as an IS official in charge of prisoner affairs, was also killed in the same airstrike. There were no reports of civilian casualties. Speaking on the condition of anonymity, one U.S. official told the Associated Press that the U.S. did not use the deconfliction phone line with Russia. I think the deconfliction phone line is one of the most interesting things about this story. Russia remains a major player in Syria, and the U.S. not calling them to confirm that we aren't going to hit a location with Russians is unlike what we've done in the past. Given how Russians have treated U.S. personnel in Syria, I'm not very worried about escalation. However, it's hard to square with the statements coming from the Biden administration about their concerns about nuclear escalation. Either we're worried about it or we aren't. We shouldn't scare people for no reason. Elsewhere, Politico is reporting that British households could face a series of power cuts this winter if energy supplies including gas imports from continental Europe, are severely constrained, according to the national grid. 
The organization, which oversees the UK's power network, said that while it expects supply to keep up with demand this winter under its base case, a host of mitigating measures would still be needed to keep the lights on. The details come in two national grid publications known as the Winter Outlook, covering both electricity and gas supply. The plan is particularly closely watched this year amid the Europe-wide squeeze on energy supply worsened by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Lebanese banks have decided to close their doors to clients indefinitely, two bankers have told Reuters, amid an unprecedented wave of holdups by frustrated depositors seeking access to their savings. The two sources told the news agency today that banks would continue urgent operations for clients and back office services for business, but front office services would remain suspended. Banks closed for about a week last month in similar circumstances, but reopened at the beginning of October to allow employees to withdraw salaries. Banks started imposing such informal capital controls following an economic downturn, which began in 2019. Since then, the local currency has lost about 90% of its value. The country's gross domestic product has contracted by more than 40%, and inflation remains in the triple digits. Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasa Sogaver told his Australian counterpart on Thursday he would not do anything that undermined Pacific security and would not allow military bases in his country under a security deal with China, NBC News reported. Sogaver met with his Australian counterpart, Anthony Albanese, in a brief visit to Canberra, and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation reported he said Australia remained the development partner of choice for Solomon Islands. Ties between Australia and Solomon Islands soured after the Pacific Island nation struck a security pact with China in April. The agreement raised concern for the United States and Australia, who have for decades seen the Pacific region as largely their sphere of influence. O Globo, Brazil's right-wing newspaper, reports that Brazil, alongside countries such as Mexico and Argentina, did not sign a statement of support for Ukraine and condemnation of the Russian invasion read at the General Assembly of the Organization of American States that began on Thursday in Lima. The statement, which does not represent a decision of the Assembly, had the support of 24 of the 34 countries participating, including Peru, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, Uruguay, and the United States. Last Friday, along with China, India, and Gabon, Brazil, which currently occupies a non-permanent seat on the UN Security Council, abstained in a vote on a resolution condemning the annexation of four Ukrainian provinces. The justification given for the Brazilian position is that the text did not favor the peace negotiations between Russians and Ukrainians. In lighter news, a New York City man has been charged with smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants at a U.S.-Canadian border crossing. Calvin Batista, 36, is accused of bringing the hidden snakes on a bus that crossed into northern New York on July 15, 2018. Importation of Burmese pythons is regulated by an international treaty and by federal regulations listing them as injurious to human beings. 
Bautista of Queens, was arraigned Tuesday in Albany on the federal smuggling charge and release pending trial, according to a news release from the office of U.S. Attorney Carla B. Friedman. The charge carries a potential for a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a fine as high as $250,000, according to federal prosecutors. That's all the news we have for you this week. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find the show. If you have a tip, topic, or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. Members of the DSR Network will receive an evening newsletter version of the DSR Daily Brief and bonus weekend briefs. This weekend, we'll speak with Anya Prusa, a senior director at the Albright-Stonebridge Group, about the elections in Brazil. If you're a member, head over to the Slack to share your questions with us. If you aren't a member, go to thedsrnetwork.com and become a member to make sure you never miss any of our analysis. If you want more in-depth discussion of these issues, be sure to follow the links in the show notes to read our sources and tune into our sister podcasts on the DSR Network. Stay safe and stay tuned to the DSR Daily Brief.